Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I have skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Sometimes there's a podcast. Well, there's a podcast where it's time and place. A podcast that fits right in there. And that's Zach on film talking about the Big Lebowski. Okay, that's what I came not, up with. Uh, not, not, not quite Sam Elliott. But, no, not uh, even close. Didn't even want to try. Man, I love Sam Elliott's voice. <coughs> I wish I had. You got to get real low in the back of your throat. No, I can't. I don't have a. Uh, I like, can't even imagine what it would feel like to grow a mustache like that. <laughs> and so I don't want to tarnish the mustache that man's actually. Image. Is what that's what causes the voice. If he shaves, it sounds like this. <laughs> but with that mustache, he gets a little resonance and he gets kind of an echo chamber effect. Yeah, if there like, was, if there was just, it's I, what's for dinner. I know that people are not big fans of that twang mm-hmm. uh, country accent, but man, oh. if I could have, if I could have somebody just be? do, if I could just have somebody do intros for our shows, you know, like this time on the Major Spoilers oh, podcast, we'll be talking about or our shoutouts. Uh, you know, no offense, Matthew, but if I could have, you know, a professional person, professional voice actor do shout outs hey. and stuff, hey. Sam Elliott, hey. Sam Elliott would be a perfect person to just say this week's episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. Having been repeatedly paid to... for my voice work, Mr. Smarty Pants, <laughs> I will remind you that I am a professional voice okay. actor. So that said, I would also. Hire Sam Elliott. If Sam Elliott started doing intros for our shows, I would honor that by always wearing a leather vest to every recording session and a big old uh, and a big cowboy and a big old cowboy hat with a nice bottle of sarsaparilla every time we record. I'd wear a cowboy hat and probably do an impression of James Jim Ross. Man, we're like uh, five minutes into the show. Talking about Sam Elliott, and we're really and we're here talking, talking about, about the opening the series. Welcome to the Sam Elliott show. <laughs> oh man, Sam Elliott, the big Sambowski. So uh, the big Lebowski, uh, Zach. What do we know about this movie? We know that it was made by the Coen Brothers. Okay, it that's released all... in ninety eight, seven, eight, something like that. Yep, one of those years, ninety eight, and um, that is what we know about it. It is well loved. It is a it classified as so a cult older. film. Yes. And uh, I do not believe it is in that hallowed uh, library of. No, it's not. But here's why it's it's, here's why I put it on the list is that it takes movies that we've talked about before, like the Maltese Falcon. And um, I don't know if we have it on the list. Uh, Maltese Falcon and not dial him for murder, although that could work as well. But I'm thinking of uh, the other one. Yeah, the other one with Humphrey Bogart, um, the other North Raymond Chandler, no. the other Sam Spade, the other Sam Spade movie. I don't know. And uh, I think this extrapolates this and puts it into modern times and turns it more into a comedy. Though it's not a it's not a parody of those films. No, but it's saying what if you just had this average ordinary person, this dude who had to go through all the tropes of a Chandler novel without being a uh, without being a uh, true Detective, mm-hmm. uh, even though there's a series on HBO about that. Um, and what <laughs> would happen? What would happen with that? Sure. So yeah. that's kind of why this is on here. Plus, it's a Coen Brothers film and we don't have uh, too many Coen Brother movies on here, um, including Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, yeah. which really should be. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of different <laughs> plot. Um, I guess you would kind of say formulas uh, thrown in this movie, which um, once you figure out it is Really, none of those, that, I think, is when the movie really becomes something uh So give us an example. Ex- Explain well, that Well, so, so the movie is essentially about this slob, uh, Jeff Lebowski, who gets mixed up for this rich guy whose uh, playboy bunny wife, Bunny, uh, needs or owes a lot of people money around town, and uh, so they try to beat out of him, so there's like a a mistaken identity plot mm-hmm. that goes through this film and then like a wild goose chase of him 
trying to do what the big what the Lebowski rich man wants to earn some money, and then it bounces around from person to person to person as he tries to figure out um, how to solve the situation. When really all he wanted was yeah. to get his rug replaced. Yeah, but then just because um, it really tied the room together. Yeah, it really tied the room together, and. So you go through two thirds of the movie over that of this kind of detective case of him trying to find the money and figure out who's lying and who's telling the truth and pretty much everyone's lying. Uh, and then we get to a scene where everything's done and the the crux of the story, the central location for the story essentially has been a bowling alley. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you kind of feel like the movie's winding down. They kind of figured out everyone's lying. Everyone's full of crap. Um, Walter <laughs> drops a, a paralyzed man on the floor. You get a laugh and you think, well, this movie's kind of done. Uh, and then some nihilist return. And you're like, well, what? What You think, you, you think he's just going to resolve in a funny way? Like, hey, all this money's fake. You guys don't need to do anything. And then that's when the big turn comes in as... Uh, so Jeff Lebowski is the main character. Then you have Walter, his his crazy friend, and then a third character, uh, Donnie, who uh, mm-hmm. ends up having a heart attack. And the movie turns from this detective case <laughs> yeah. to what uh, the movie is really about is a uh, friendship buddy film between uh, the dude and Walter and how their ideologies clash and how they kind of reconcile and end up being okay with each other is um, what I felt like the movie was ultimately about and that they used the situations of the mistaken identity in this wild goose detective case to come all around and really be about these two. I think that that was the big turn of the movie that really made me like sit back and, and start th- thinking about it more. And I think you may be onto something there. I mean, that's a very interesting take on, on the film, especially when you consider that, uh, Donnie, is that his name? Donnie? Shout out Donnie. Mm-hmm. Um, Donnie, yeah. Steve yeah. Character. Um, when you see them in the bowling alley, the way that they're normally situated is you've got Lebowski on the left, mm-hmm. Walter on the right, usually mm-hmm. framed in there. And that kind of aligns with their ideologies. One that leans far to the left, the other one that leans far to the right. And the person in the middle who kind of balances everything out for them is Donnie. Yeah. And when Donnie dies, even though, you know, he's barely in this film, um, he's kind of what's keeping those two from really blowing up at each other all the time. Even the exchange when they're trying to do the money handoff, (laughs) even when they're trying to do the money handoff, uh, Lebowski and Walter are fighting with one another, but they don't really come to arguments about what is the real problem. And the minute that Donnie dies and you're doing that, um, you're doing the ashes ceremony, which is which hysterical. Um, really funny. It, it, it just comes to the head of why do you got to be this way, Walter? Why do you got to be this? Why do you got to be this? And ultimately they and this often happens in arguments. You have to get out what's what's really troubling you in order to have the catharsis where you can say, oh, OK, now we're all OK. Now we understand mm-hmm. where we're coming from. And we don't know how much time it passes from that. Uh, scattering of the ashes scenes to them at the bowling alley. But when you see Lebowski come up at the end with the stranger there, he's in a super great mood. It's like the, the cares of the world are suddenly gone away from him. So you might be onto something in, in that, uh, in that interpretation of, of the movie. Cool. Yeah. Donnie. Um, so I watched this movie and then I bought it cause I rent, I usually rent everything <laughs> from iTunes. I yeah. watched it. I bought it. Uh, I came back from work and started watching a little bit again, and Steve Buscemi is freaking amazing. <laughs> He's <laughs> he so funny because you yeah. you lose him in the background, especially mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in that big uh, scene where you start kind of seeing characters unfold with uh, Walter drawing his piece and pointing mm-hmm. at Smokey. Mm-hmm. Um, you you lose Donnie in the background. Like right. I didn't even notice him the first time right, because right, it's right. so uh, forward focused in frame that I always just assumed Donnie wasn't even in frame the first time I watched mm-hmm. it. But then I watched it again and he's framed perfectly right, right in the middle uh, under Walter's arm almost. Mm-hmm. And you see him and he's just like wigging out and yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think of uh, Zach's read there, Rodrigo? 
I think it's totally valid. I think uh, Donnie is kind of this... Um, uh, he's kind of this comic relief the whole time. Really, it, Walter's reaction to him is kind of comic right, relief right. throughout shut, shut the, uh, the whole Donnie. thing. And then, yeah. it, you know, it does it does kind of flip in that you see that there's there's a friendship there that that kind of holds them together i think i think it's a good it's a, it's definitely a good read thank you matthew what about you because you really took me by that it's definitely got act. i'm kind of trying to figure out where we're going to go from there because you kind of <laughs> hit on something that's very interesting well, and he, he makes a good point and what's really impressive is it's the, the text of the film actually supports him because mm-hmm. what is the most commonly stated thing in this movie? Shut the F up, Donnie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Donnie yeah. is like the, the, the shock absorber mm-hmm. between Walter and the dude. That's, I mean, yeah, we're done. Call it. <laughs> Thanks for watching Zach on film. So we'll I see mean, you next time. We, we don't talk very With, much about. Uh, we we don't talk very much about um, Coen Brothers, but I think you know, th- man, if you're going to be influenced by somebody's act, it should be the Coen Brothers. I mean, the stuff yeah. that they do. Have you watched a lot of their films? <laughs> no, not really. Um, not that Stephen has an opinion or anything. I mean, their um, stuff is just really good. Watch this. Uh, have you seen Oh Brother Where Are Thou? I have seen. Oh, I watched Oh Brother Where Are Thou all the time in high school. What about um, uh, Blood Simple? Have no. you seen uh, Barton Fink? Fargo? Barton Fink? No, I haven't seen Fargo. Fargo. It's on my list. You haven't seen Fargo? No. Mm, good it's on movie. My, it's on my instant cue. Fargo um, is a great movie. You know, I really, I think these might Fargo be the is a better movie they, than they this, do, They did No Country for Old Men, too, didn't they? Yes. If they did, I still haven't seen it. They yes. did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, no, I really haven't seen anything. They did a but, True Grit oh, remake. Really Raising Arizona. Oh, I have seen, the, they did True Grit? Yeah. yeah I, did I, I did grit. see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They did the, the remake where the dude was John Wayne, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is really crazy. <laughs> Which is really crazy. You know, all, you know, you mentioned the actors. I think this is – the Coens tend to use actors that they like a lot mm-hmm. and ones that they've worked with a lot. John Goodman has been in every Coen Brothers movie. Was he in True Grit? He's, he's usually he? in every single, every single Coen Brothers movie, uh, which I find uh, very fascinating. Well, let's – Well, John Goodman I'll check is this out. fantastic. Like, yeah, he is. He is an exceptionally good actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and really, and he's he's wonderful here. Oh no, he is fantastic here, and especially as somebody that's have, like totally burned out. You know, probably suffering from some post traumatic stress syndrome, and also is just so set in his. Well, he's set in his beliefs, but I think he's easily influenced. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, look at this. I mean, he's, he's, he switches his religion to uh, yeah. Judaism yeah, yeah. Uh, because of his ex-wife, and <laughs> he was raised Polish Catholic. And it's just like, um, well, you know. And then he totally dives into everything about that, even though he isn't following, isn't following the rules, um, especially about you know the the Saturday no no uh, is it no technology is that what it is Matthew is it no no work, no work at all it's Shomer Shabbos. Basically, right, right, there's right. a list of 39 things you can't do. Right. They basically break down to melacha, which means that creative acts. Right, right, right. For lack of a better term. You can't light a fire. You can't put out a fire. You can't plant. You can't plow. You can't reap. It's it, There's a lot of different things that you do not do. Technically, mm-hmm. depending on how you read it, you're not supposed to carry or transfer yourself between domains which means right, technically right. You're not supposed to leaving walk, the house yeah. mm-hmm. but you can hire yeah. a goal you're definitely to not supposed to you. drive yeah driving driving would be starting a fire you definitely can't drive but technically you know it depends on honestly who's doing the, the thinking but yeah you may not depending on how specific you are about it be able to leave the room and that is in. and that is a bit of and a, you certainly can't skin anything yeah and that's that certainly a big point no of, of uh, frustration for the dude um and walter mm-hmm. is the religion keeps running keeps smacking into uh this issue especially when and, and vietnam and vietnam oh, yes yeah. Um, but the fact yeah, that, yeah. you know, Walter can't bowl on Saturday, he's not supposed <laughs> to drive on Saturday yet. The minute that a million dollars is involved, he's ready to, you know, break that, he's that up. rule and go out he's, and do it. He's good. Ready to roll. Yep. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think, yeah, it's certainly a, a thing where he doesn't like the whole Saturday thing, mm-hmm. but I think the dude is more upset that, uh, Walter, 
seemingly isn't making this decision for himself or is being influenced from outside sources where the dude is more like yeah. not he's not going to be that you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the dude the dude is kind of straightforward in his desire to do nothing you know the dude is actually based <laughs> which, on a real, real life awesome person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great i think it's up on vimeo uh do a search on on uh, jeffrey dowd um or dot i forget how you say his name but uh, do a search for the real life dude and there's a um there's this great little fascinating documentary. He was part of the, you know, the uh, Seattle yeah, seven, seven and um, radical groups of, of the sixties. Uh, and um, there's this great little documentary and everything that he does. Now, some of it may be somewhat of a setup, but they show him going into the, into the grocery store and literally just drinking white Russians and buying the milk and doing a lot of those yeah. things and dressing the same way. Now, again, a lot of that could be for the sake yeah. of this documentary. Uh, but I think it's uh, I think it's very from what very I read that um, yeah they take a lot of the Seattle Seven and stuff from it. But they said that he's also he I mean he's involved in like the film business. Mm-hmm. And they yes. said like he isn't completely lackadaisical. Like when he right, gets right. on a project, he will do whatever it right. is our project. So, so have got, you seen so this got, documentary? No, I was reading. I was reading. A, okay, a, a, analyze of the movie and stuff. Analysis. They talked about him. Analysis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, he said he actually got like punched because he wanted a critic to go watch a oh, documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At uh, oh crap, that thing in Utah. Yes, uh, <laughs> whatever that Sundance. Yeah, Sundance. And he wanted this critic to go watch a documentary so bad that he ended up getting punched. <laughs> this is uh, Tara Reid's first movie. She was in TV before this, mm-hmm. and uh, that was rather surprising. She's to like see. twenty-two in this. Yeah, is she? I don't. I don't know how old she yeah, was. 20, in that I think movie. twenty-two. Now, well, this was eighty-nine. She was born in seventy-six. So. There is she was 22, 23. I didn't I guess I didn't really pay attention to it this go around. But uh, David Huddleston plays the big Lebowski in, in this movie. Right. Um, but there is another actor that the Coens have used before. He's white haired, overweight. Um, I think he was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He usually plays this kind of a southern kind of smarmy guy. Oh, we yep. saw him. Oh, oh he played. Uh, yeah, he played, that's uh, Charles Durning. Ch- Charles Durning. I think he would have actually yes. been better in this role as the Big Lebowski than than David Huddleston, even though he did a fantastic mm-hmm, job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he's fr- the, he's the mayor of Rockridge. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, he's also he's also uh, what is his name in the the Muppet movie? Uh, he plays the uh, the evil uh, Colonel Sanders character. Well, but oh. that's not that's not Huddleston. No, 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 that's not Huddleston. Yeah, this that's is, a different uh, guy. That's the guy that I say would be a better. That's um, Charles Durning. Yeah, that's Charles Durning. That's who I say would be, be Charles, a better big. He was Lebowski. he was he was Pappy Pappy for the flower. Yeah, yeah, Pappy yeah, O'Daniel. Pappy yeah, O'Daniel's yeah. flower. Yep. 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 Um, they have they play similar types though. Mm-hmm, they do, and that's why you could almost interchange and I, them. I'm wondering if in 1980, what year did O Brother Where Art Thou come out? Uh, Two thousand one ish. Yeah, somewhere in there. I'm wondering if in 1989 Charles Durning wasn't quite old enough to play that kind of role yet. I mean, 98, yeah, 98. Char- well, Charles Durning is actually older than David Huddleston, according to this, and apparently passed away. That sucks. <laughs> Dang. Uh, I mean, just some great acting in this piece. <laughs> I sad. mean, everybody has great acting. Even uh-huh. even uh, even Flea, uh, who plays one of the nihilists. <laughs> Uh, red hot chili peppers uh, you yeah. know what it's it's really great is if you imagine that that's needles yes from back to the future <laughs> you're a chicken you're a chicken that's, McFly. What, that's what needles you're becomes. a chicken a nihilistic chicken um, I Johnson McFly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. philip seymour hoffman and the hoffman big guy is in this as well oh uh, his his part was so funny because he had so many great little geez. mannerisms mm-hmm. of like when they're going yes. through all the awards of like constantly like kind of stuttering with his words when the yeah, dude yeah. says i mean like readjusting his tie when he feels awkward mm-hmm. or is uh so when he, the dude comes back to the lebowski mansion after uh bunny has been supposedly kidnapped and he like bows as he enters the chambers yeah, yeah it's yeah. so freaking funny yeah what about julianne yes, moore perfect in that role. what about julianne moore my god i love her this movie, I mean, I've had a crush on Julianne Moore for a while, but right. this is this movie. I'm just like, I love that character. You love the I character love the, of Maude, or you love her as an actress? She, 
Uh, it's six and one half a dozen in this oh, place okay. because I think, you know, had that been like Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. the same role would have been off-putting. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was Julianne Moore getting up his face and going, some people are afraid of the word vagina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know she wasn't German, by the way. I still have German no, no, But she has that very, very but uh, just, harsh dialect and manner of speaking. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of a, a British accent that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense because her father doesn't have one, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay with that. She probably went to a boarding school. Well, you can pl- pair Julianne Moore you know, in this movie, and then you compare her in Boogie Nights, and that shows you really kind of the range of what she's capable of doing, which is yeah. one extreme to the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. And then we get to John Turturro. <laughs> it, it don't matter to Jesus. It don't matter to Jesus. Yeah, as the Why Jesus. was that role in this film? Apparently, <laughs> apparently, um, Turturro had played another role where he was a Cuban-American pederast um, in, I think it was a stage play or something. And the Coens were like, oh, yeah, let's just have him do that in this movie, too. I know he said that he would be up for doing a spinoff. Oh, yeah, of yeah. his character, but the Coens are like, well, we're not going to direct it. We yeah. might write it or whatever, but... Rodrigo, I'm interested in your thoughts of so, uh, the Jesus. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Why is why is that character in this movie? He has no real point. Um, because because that, that really uh, can easily be expanded to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Why does anything that happened in this movie happen in this movie? Mm. And the reason is this is a movie... Uh, that is about set pieces, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You have this movie actually starts three different times, right? It has three different intros to it. You get right. the um, Sam Elliott. You get Sam Elliott. Then you get slow motion bowling set mm-hmm. to music, mm-hmm. and then you actually get like the, the like an, an actual introduction to really the the power trio of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um. There are multiple musical, not not straight up musical numbers, but multiple pieces set to music that all they really do is kind of jar you out of whatever you wherever you thought this movie was going. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of them is the the Jesus bowling. One of them is any of or, you know, any of the times that the dude gets knocked out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of get get something like that. A little Busby Berkeley musical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, you know, basically, when you think to yourself, what happens in this movie? The actual answer is nothing. Right, nothing actually right. happens in this movie. But it is kind of a like this quilt of craziness. And, you know, it makes about as much sense for the Jesus to be there and antagonize Walter as it does for, I mean, the nihilists. Uh, you know, uh, actually, the nihilists probably make a lot more sense, but like, um, like Maud's friend to be mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. in yeah. her study, you know, it's like there's no reason for any of these characters to be involved except for both Lebowski's and Bunny and Bunny. Nobody needs to be there. Right. That's true. But they're just interesting. And I think that's what I really. I was just going to say they're just kind of interesting characters to throw in. Yeah, that's kind of what I really like about this. A couple of uh, weeks ago. We had uh, a lot of consternation about the interwebs, about the end of How I Met Your Mother. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I said something to the effect of real life is a shaggy dog story. And there are times in your life where threads seem like they're going to be a story. And then it turns out they're totally not. And people zap in and out of your life and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I used to work with her 16 months ago or something. And it will it will be something where a person is there and they're really, really important for the six weeks that they're in your life and then they disappear and you literally never see them again. Mm-hmm. That's what I really kind of enjoyed about this story. It didn't feel like here's this awesome, you know, noir tale with this character, this hapless character at the middle of it. It's like, here's what happens if you spend a few days with in, the dude. In Los Angeles <laughs> with the dude, yeah. You know, the the yeah, the the movie is is as laconic as the main character, and you see that bit with with the Jesus, mm-hmm. and there's no reason for him to be there in the context of this story. But if you come back a week later, 
maybe you see the round robin where they actually go up against him and there's like a really cool story there. Mm-hmm. But we just don't get that because it wasn't part of this portion of dude's life. Right. And I think that this movie is kind of that way. It's a movie that doesn't really matter. And we'll get to another reason why this is on, on the list. Um, in fact, you can walk into this movie at any point and follow along from that point forward, even if you've never seen the movie before. And I think, Matthew, you had made a comment earlier that this was the first time that you saw yeah. this in the narrative order that it was supposed to be presented in. Yes, I have seen all of this movie. I have never sat down and watched The Big Lebowski from beginning to end on purpose. I've, I've seen, you know, you'd be watching cable and the first few minutes come on and you go to bed or you show up and, you know, Tom Boaz is watching it in an afternoon and you see the last half hour. I've seen chunks of this. I've seen it all. But I've never actually watched the movie in actual chronological mm-hmm. order before, mm-hmm. and it's really kind of bizarre. There are scenes in here that I didn't realize were this movie that I thought were another corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So this movie performed poorly, performed really bad at the box office. Even though it's a Coen Brothers movie and, and Coen Brothers have done a lot of really good stuff, they've also done a lot of mediocre stuff. And this certainly would fall into that. Some people, though, say that this is the best Coen Coen Brothers movie ever, and some have put it in their top Mm -hmm. 10 lists of um, comedies, top 10 lists of best characters uh, of a certain Mm -hmm. decade, Um, and it has sparked essentially a cult-like following uh, for this movie. I I say not a cult-like following, a cult following for this movie. You've had Mm -hmm. religions based on uh, Lebowskiism, I think is what it's called. Or Dudism, I'm sorry, Dudism, and they have festivals. Rod, did, did I ever tell you guys? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Did I ever tell you guys how I accidentally ended up at Lebowski Fest? No, please tell us <laughs> no. because it's fascinating. So, uh, yeah, so there's this there's this uh, thing that happens in Louisville, Kentucky, called Lebowski Fest. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Let me yes, just double it check. Is. It is. Well, I'm yeah. Um. At least that's where it started. Uh, nowadays, they might it, it might move around a little bit more, but uh, they. So I was I just happened to be in Louisville the the weekend that this was happening, and I was in downtown Louisville walking around with someone, and like I just like it it. I just kept seeing these weird people that I thought were homeless. And then I realized that they were all wearing like the same jacket or like the same kind of like, I don't know, like woven sweater. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized they were cosplayers cosplaying the Big Lebowski. Like I was about um, like, I don't know, 200 yards into Lebowski Fest before I realized that I was at a festival. (laughs) 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 And uh, they have like screenings and like I didn't do any of the. Uh, any of the events um i it, i just kind of weirdly happened to be there at the time i had seen the big lebowski but i had only seen it once and like my first thought was like i should get out of here before somebody calls me a poser because <laughs> like i don't like if somebody was like ah oh, do a quote from the big lebowski i would have probably been like oh cowboy at the beginning uh-huh. <laughs> So why, I would have just said that. So here's this thing. There are movies that are that are not successful financially in the box office. Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. uh, Beastmaster, yeah. um, uh, uh, Army of Darkness, um, Clerks. You know, Clerks. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Well, yeah. Bill and Ted, yeah, okay. And then you get movies like Big Lebowski that turn into what are coined cult films. Who wants to uh, dive into the area of cult films and why they're important and what do they say and how, you know, is there something there that makes them so something that people just are dying to see again and again and again? Matthew? Mr. Cutter. Oh, oh, pick me. That's a 70s reference, Zachary. Uh, I don't believe that's Horshack. May I go? I, d- I called oh, I on you. I kill you with a stick. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. For me, we have discussed many times on this podcast and the Major Spoilers podcast a growing trend, probably over the last 50 years of filmmaking, to really 
target your movie to the largest possible audience. And what that means is they sand off all the rough edges. They make sure that there's nothing objectionable, nothing too strange, nothing bizarre, nothing out of the baseline, quote unquote, normal experience so that the most people get in in those first two weeks, get out and don't ever have to watch the film again. And I think to define a cult film is, well, let's be frank here. That way lies madness. Well, yeah, because I mean, if you look at any of the cult, if you're, if you look at it, films like the wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings, back to the future are all cult classics as well. Could be. But I think what you really find with a cult film is you mean, a you mean the you mean the rotoscope Lord of the Rings stuff? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, so the Peter Jackson. You can have, stuff. You can have a cult classic that shatters like the box office. It is called a cult blockbuster film. Is this subgenre? Star Wars, The Matrix, also fall into these categories. Uh, interesting. I like, uh, I would like my, 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 uh, uh, section of this to be me arguing against that classification. Go, go ahead. Uh, this is Matt Hill's concept. Uh, uh, if, if Matthew's coming. Matthew's done. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Matthew. <laughs> go ahead and finish up on your. All right. But I think what you find with a film specifically like the big Lebowski is it is a film that has a specific perspective and personality and when you get down to it you know we discussed it's like a couple of days with the dude it's the kind of film that is pleasant enough to sit and watch to where you might watch it again because it made you laugh or it made you feel funny or you enjoyed walter flipping out the film has such a specific experience tied to it that you watch this film to relive the experience. Same with Rocky Horror. Not a good movie. Right. But the experience of watching it is such that you, you know, you want to do that again. Well, one of my favorite movies is a cult movie, Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That movie is five people in a house yelling at each other, surrounded by some guys who are sleepwalking, and then some really, really impressively disgusting set pieces involving the ghouls. Right. And it's a movie that you get to the end of Night of the Living Dead, and there's literally a part of the movie where they ran out of money, and Romero couldn't afford film, so the movie ends with a series of sh- of still shots. Yeah, stills, yeah. And it's really, really awesome what they put together, and the 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 tension, the feeling of watching that film is something that you I want at least to feel over and over again, even if I can, you know, quote back and forth the Beastmaster. You want to experience the Beastmaster again because the movie is made with such a specific perspective and such mm-hmm. an expectation that you can you can you can buy into it. You can add your own little interpretations and expectations. Right. You can feel like you're the dude's friend. Right. I'm one of the dude's pals. I'm the one that they don't talk to. They never say, shut the F up, Matthew. But they could. And Walter might stick a gun in my face because I accidentally parked in his space or something. Uh, you tried to mark and down a nine I mean, when it was really a seven, so that's the problem. <laughs> so when we look at when we look at cult films, when we look at cult films, there's a couple of different types uh, classifications that we can go into. We can go into the so bad it's good, the Z movies, you know, <laughs> the Plan Nine from Outer Space type stuff, camp and guilty pleasure mm-hmm. movies like maybe. Um, Maybe like the Big Lebowski might follow into that, although it really the, falls into this next category. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. But it does. That Lebowski Roger. falls into the, the third category, the Midnight Movies category. Um, the ones that you can show at a midnight feature and people will show up. In fact, that's how they figured out that Lebowski was more popular than than they originally thought, because mm-hmm. somebody opened it up at a, at a weekend midnight showing and they had to turn away like 600 people. And then it ran midnight every weekend for six weeks, and they yeah. were still drawing people in. Rocky Horror Picture Show falls under the midnight uh, movies. You've uh, got the art explo- uh, exploitation and genre films uh, that fall into this. You have animation. And then this is why I think movies like um, uh, Back to the Future and um, Star Wars fall in here. There's this nostalgia, as Matthew just mentioned. There's a nostalgia for uh, a lot of these movies that you remember as a kid and you'll go and sit down and watch them again and again and again. For me, uh, you know, a guilty pleasure uh, film is um, um, now I forgot it. <laughs> it's the uh, 
battling space bugs. Um, Paul Star- Verhoeven, Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers. Starship Troopers. Starship yeah, Troopers. I love that movie. And we would, and every, when I was living in California, me and a coworker and a bunch of his friends, like probably every other weekend, would go over to his house. We'd pop in three movies. Army of Darkness, Starship Troopers, and then some Kung Fu movie. And we would just get drunk and have fun and yell at the screen and shout all the quotes from all the movies. And it was fun. It was that experience of what we were doing. But we knew that these movies weren't great, but they're those guilty pleasures. There's there's a lot of fun inside of inside of that. But Lebowski became really popular because of these midnight showings uh, in that. Do you have a um, Matthew? You already mentioned yours. Rodrigo, do you have a cult film that is one of your favorites? I think like a, 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 a sizable amount of the movies I like are called movies. Um, yeah. Like I said, I mentioned Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and mm-hmm. Ted's Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. I don't I, those those don't necessarily get put in the Criterion Collection. Um, I like uh, you know like I, I'm a big fan of like something like Pan's Labyrinth, which mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. did okay and was successful, but it's not something that somebody pops in all the time. Um, you know, Scott Pilgrim is rapidly on its way to yeah. becoming a cult classic because it didn't do that yes. well, um, but it has a strong following, especially well, for people that so come to it through the comic. That's kind of a modern example of that midnight thing where yeah. they show that thing at midnight. I'm seeing mm-hmm. postings of them showing that all the yep. time at midnight in cities in Los Angeles. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. They're showing at midnight all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what does that say about yeah. our culture then? I mean, uh, you know, what does it say about our society or about our culture? Is there a need for cult films? Well, I think, I think like Matthew pointed out, um, the, the movies that tend to do well are very, uh, produced. And, and there's basically this, like getting a a successful film is kind of a game of like Venn diagrams. Right. Uh It's like, if you can get this demographic, this demographic and this demographic to like your movie, it'll be monetarily successful. If you get, you know, uh, comic book nerds and non comic book nerds who like spy thrillers and you get like big action people and you get all those together, Captain America, colon, the Winter Soldier is a successful movie, right? Right. Um, plus the Marvel fans. And all that. Like, again, when you start lining up all those Venn diagrams, there are other Venn diagrams that aren't that successful, but they're still, they still exist. You know, it's like when you get like stoners and, you know, people who, you, you get like stoners, slackers, people who like Coen Brother movies, people who love John Goodman. You get all of those together, you get, you know, the big Lebowski mm-hmm. crew. Um, and those people are going to continue spending money on the big Lebowski and will, you know, slowly, that'll slowly trickle back to the, um, to the filmmakers, hopefully, if they, if their contracts were proper. Yeah. Um, and, and they will be rewarded for that over time. And really, that's, that's what uh, a lot of cold movies become is that you know over a period of 20 years a movie will continue to make money for the studio and for the filmmakers mm-hmm. and will event eventually pay for itself yeah. but it takes a lot longer than the big blockbusters yeah, well yeah. if you look at things like you look at rocky horror mm-hmm. rocky horror for whoever is you know collecting the bunny and it could be hundreds of people rocky horror has made millions of dollars in the years that it's been out and you have to figure that that's an incredibly successful film but when you say do we need cult films i say yes and the reason why is because i'm a big fat nerd and when i was growing up the nerd experiences that i shared with my fellow nerds that shaped me were things like have you seen this akira movie Mm-hmm. Have you seen this heavy metal movie? Oh, wait, my friend Josh had a copy of Head, the Monkeys movie on VHS. And he's like, you got to see this. This is incredible. Those are formative experiences. And those are the shared experiences. You know, the equivalent of my grandmother, she used to, we would, we would go on car trips and I would ride with my grandmother and she used to sing all the songs that she sang with her family when she was a kid, just sitting around the living room because there was no electricity and no television in 1924. Mm-hmm. That was a shared experience. And as our 
culture becomes so much of a vicarious one where we don't necessarily connect with each other through specific experiences, but through the things that we consume, the things that we enjoy, the things that we consider ourselves to be a member of, to belong to. Those shared experiences, especially cult movies, which are smaller, kind of smaller sample sizes, Mm -hmm. actually become more important. Because if you can say to somebody, and this this is dangerous because, as we've seen with the comic industry, thinking that there's a magic password leads to some serious yes, dickhead yes. behavior. Mm-hmm. But knowing that if you if you meet somebody and that guy's like, dude, have you seen that movie Heavy Metal? You can go, oh, my God, that's 80 minutes of the most embarrassingly awesome stuff ever. And you have that moment where you're like, yes, we have a shared Right, that experience. shared experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're ultimately going for. I think the other mm-hmm. thing, though. Zach is that you never know what is going to make. Sure. Uh, you know, you could take all of the Venn diagrams and line them up and you could say, well, this is going to be the perfect cult movie, but you're never going to have somebody make that. Yeah. Cult movies are made by accident. And when they try to make a cult movie. Yeah, they just fly. So they try to make a cult movie like, yeah. like um, what is that one with Kim Bassinger where she is the cartoon? Oh, uh, uh, cool, uh, world. cool world. Cool yeah. world. When they try to make a cult movie. I feel like some of the authenticity is lost and the audience will look at that and go, no, your cult movie is not a real cult movie. Yeah, I mean, that's the same kind you of know, idea. And some like, of them are inexplicable. Yeah. Marketing teams would be like, make a viral video. Yes, exactly. Like, You've never been on the internet, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You don't understand it. It just happens. Yeah. And would well, you, I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a good point. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, would, would you ever go into a project you want to say, uh, I want to make a cult movie. Is that any like that's like I don't know. I'm I sure it's, be, I'm sure know, it's been some, said by somebody that sure this is going to be a cult classic. But are like, any uh, of the cult classics that they went into like be no, like oh this no. is going to be this is going to make it, money in maybe if you're broken years. List. Yeah, no, I don't think so. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, if got certain people can do that. I think Monty Python and Broken Lizard and to some degree Mike Judge can go in and say I expect my movie to be a cult classic because. Frankly, there aren't enough people who are going to go see my movie in the theater to turn it into a real movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that you can go out, and even if you're Mike Judge or John Cleese or, God help you, Jay Chandrasekhar, you can't say, my next movie is going to be a cult classic. No. You just make a movie. Right. Right, right. You just make a movie. That, that matters to you, and then the, you make a movie that matters to you, people respond. Yeah. Well, and that and that is the that is what ends up happening, right? Is like the this movie is made with an aesthetic or I, I don't know an ethos that is different from your standard major uh, Hollywood picture. So um, some people, even if, there's going to be people out there who will simply reject it because it doesn't look like what they're familiar with, right? right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a big reason why you don't have that many. Like what the why that definition is just kind of like a movie that not everyone likes but people like very fervently, mm-hmm. um, and you just like that. That's what ends up happening is just you have people that have a similar life experience or a similar aesthetic eye or something like that, something that's similar to the filmmaker to what the filmmakers are putting forward, and those people latch onto that movie and they latch onto it extra hard. Because they don't have that many movies that are like that. There's not that many movies that they will that that express that I don't know. Um, well, it's like for example, one it. of my favorite movies is yeah, my one of my favorite movies is Bill, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, mm-hmm. and that movie is insanely absurd. And the whole time they just play it completely straight. At no point does anybody really look at the cam. Well, they do look at the camera to be like, ah, uh, death doesn't want to like death. Death wants to keep playing Twister, you know that sort of right. thing. But there's no like winking or nudging or tongue in cheekness right. about it. Everything just kind of moves forward right. in this ridiculous plot. Like it's a perfectly reasonable plot line. Yeah, and and, like and, and I appreciate I- that. There's something about that that I really love. Right. Yeah. And I will like it's gotten me it's it's practically gotten me into fights because <laughs> yeah. it will tell me that it's not a good movie. And there's a lot of reasons why I think it's a good movie. So it makes you a little bit more more fervent, more likely to go spread the word about it because mm-hmm. you know that out of 10 people that you tell, none of them are going to want to watch it unless but, they're dating you. And then you kind of make 
then you have to. But like a cult, you will do anything in your power to make sure that you spread the good word of station and evil robot Bill and Ted. That's right. And when you, but the thing is when you latch, when you latch onto a cult film, you know, whatever that may be, if it, if it's the big Lebowski for you or army of darkness or starship troopers or whatever it is, if there's a movie that comes along that is in that same vein, even though it's not intended to be, Oh, well this is a, another version of big Lebowski. It'll be a big hit with the, People, even if it's not the intention, people will reject that movie, even if it is the same similar type thing, yep. mm-hmm. which is really interesting, too. Yeah, you can't you can't force that sort of zeitgeist. You can't push it. And for me, the best cult movies like The Big Lebowski have a reality that may or may not be serious, but they play it entirely straight. Big Lebowski doesn't point and laugh at the dude for being so lazy. It doesn't call out Walter for, mm-hmm. you know, being such a jerk or for having his problems. You know, it, it allows Walter to tell one of his best friends, shut the F up, Donnie, every five seconds. It allows the dude to be hapless and feckless and stupid. You know, if you look at The Warriors, which is another wonderful movie, oh, yeah, yeah. classic mm-hmm. movie for me, cult movie, everybody in that film is, by today's standards, Suspect because they are street gang members who who basically participate in illegal activities. But as you watch that film and you see what they do, you see Swan being Swan and having his Swan moment. And you have these moments where these characters are given their own reality. Everybody in that film has something going on that is kind of, for them at least, an authentic experience when when they meet mercy the girl and she's making fun of them because they're with the wrong gang but it turns out that they're actually more powerful than her brother who's in the the crappy gang and they have the quick rumble and then seven warriors beat up 35 orphans or whatever it is it's a moment where you should be going oh this is terrible this is crime in the streets and these teenagers are beating each other senseless but no you think yes swan get on the train go home run swan run and and you save know, the Rex Center feel for those characters. Oh, different movie. This is what happens when you fight a stranger in the Alps, Stephen. This Zach, is what happens. Who made our discussion of cult films possible today? Those would be our associate producers. Who would be Christian Fisher, David Marble, Ethan Guberman, Julia Hess, Christopher Dolly, <laughs> Nathan Tenney, Linz Cog Severine, Paul Fassett, Josh Payne, Daniel Auger, Robert Kaslick, Stephen Propst. Alexander Deichen, Amber Dinnett, and William Gibson. Thank you, one and all, our associate producers, for yes, making ours. this podcast possible and so many more. And if you want to be an associate producer, head over to uh, members.majorspoilers.com. Sign up for uh, one of those uh, membership levels. Gold gets you your name shouted out on this show and many others. Uh, but there's also bronze and oh, silver memberships if you want to just do like $2 a month, which really isn't a lot. That's like 25 no, no, cents. No, no. We do 10, no. 10 podcasts a week on average. Sometimes a little bit more, sometimes Bam. a little bit less. But even if we did eight yeah. a week, that's less than 25 cents an episode yes. for everything that we do, which means that I if spend, you do that four times I a week, $2 a day. that's like eight times four, four is 32 stars. divided by two, divided into two is how much? It's like 10 cents an episode almost. 16. 16 cents an episode, ladies and gentlemen, for just 16 cents a day, we can afford to send Zach to, uh, (laughs) (laughs) we can feed little Zach. We can feed young Zach. Oh, you know what we could do with your 16 cents a day? You know what we could do with your 16 cents a day? White Russians for everyone. Five parts vodka, two two parts Kahlua or coffee liqueur, and three parts fresh cream. So pour the, uh, the liqueur and the vodka into an old fashioned glass over ice and then pour that cream on top and stir slowly there is your recipe for a white russian zach what did you get out of this movie all my glasses are old um i got uh from technical side uh i thought there was a lot of great um shots like that bowling the bowling shot yeah when when lebowski gets knocked out Mm -hmm. things get kind of weird and fairly interesting um so the bowling shot is interesting and i've been thinking for a long time how they did C- it C- cg bowling ball over a shot of a 
camera on a rotisserie Roti- spit kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. So that was a that was a cool shot, and I like that one a lot. Um, and that weird musical number. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the infinite staircase and like the forever yeah, tall big old Busby thing. Berkeley musical yeah. reference. Yeah. Um, yeah. those were cool shots, and uh, they're nice. I mean, it was just throwing people through like different styles into a film. Yeah, yeah. And naturally is cool. Um, blocking a scene. I, I I started watching the movie over again or before we recorded, and uh, the first scene when you get in the bowling alley between the dude and Walter and Donnie, and they're talking about how horrible it is and what a grievance it is that his car his rug has been peed on. Right. And uh, really tie the room together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, Asian American is the preferred nomenclature, Zach. <laughs> We we start that scene on a shot of Donnie, who I'm going to say right now, I'm going to guess, I bet Donnie was the best bowler out of the three. I don't know why, I think Donnie was actually the best bowler. Probably. That's uh, likely. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's possible. Yeah. So we start on Donnie, and then we move the camera to a shot with all three of them as they just go on and be acting awesome people. And so the, everyone's dividing the thirds there. The dude's on the left, uh, Walter's straight up middle, and Donnie's on the right sitting there about to mark a scorecard. And everything, everyone's perfectly framed. And there's just this really slight movement where Donnie leans forward to mark a score while those two are still arguing, completely ignoring the success of Donnie, like right, always. Right, right, right. Uh, and the camera just follows mm-hmm. us a bit, and they keep the thirds still. Uh, and the, and the, he, Donnie slides back into where he was and the camera slides back with him. It's very quick and it's very subtle, but it's, it's a nice move to keep the thirds intact. And then eventually it's the time of the dude to bowl. The dude, uh, walks out of frame and the camera follows him. And then it still keeps the thirds by putting Donnie in the left, Walter in the middle. And then the, uh, or the, I guess it'd be like the ball return machine or whatever right, the middle right, right. console was for the bowling right. thing. Uh, still keeping that, and so that was just a wonderful uh, executed scene, I thought. Cool. So what are you going to take with you besides just blocking? Blocking is the main thing? Or? Yeah, blocking was a big thing, I think, and just uh, camera position. Okay, excellent. Um, and uh, and using the title <laughs> to foreshadow uh, the big hook. I think Because I think the big Lebowski in the movie is the turn. Yeah. All right, Zach. I think you did a great job. Obviously, very much at the very beginning of the uh, of the uh, show, where you've uh, came up with a different take than what maybe other people have done. So, good job on that, uh, Rodrigo, Matthew. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I guess not. <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dave, David Huddleston is pretty awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, we only have twenty five movies left on this list. Oh, no. Which means something's going to have to happen with Zach on film once we hit the end of that 25. Yeah. So we're going to let you use the comment section to let let you decide what happens next. <laughs> but, uh, Zach, why don't you take us out of here? All right. That's the end of this episode. As we talk to Big Lebowski on Zach on film, make sure to head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can give all of your thoughts and ideas about the Big Lebowski or what you would like to see for the future of Zach on film. While you're at Majorspoilers.com, make sure to click on that Amazon.com link where you can go buy your own very own copy of The Big Lebowski, or any other films featured here on Zach on Film. It's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to us. And next week, we will be talking Bonnie and Clyde on Zach on Film. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.